Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and importantly some of your very own personal stories. I want to thank you for being part of Mike's Open Journal as guests, as visitors, as speakers, as listeners. Welcome to the world of mental health. And remember, you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And she was like, can you tell me a bit about what's going on? So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal, and welcome to episode 123. It's raining quite heavy outside. In fact, this is the second time I'm recording the intro because we've just had a little bit of thunder and lightning and it actually kind of ruined the audio a little bit. Um, It wasn't me jumping and screaming, honest. (laughs) um thank you so much for continuing to download uh the podcast and for hopefully subscribing as well uh it's been amazing the last couple of months having a range of new guests coming onto the podcast but also a few of um those guys that have been on before coming back to share updates and continuing to to be involved with the podcast as well has been awesome as always if you'd like to get involved in the future you can contact me at mikesopenjournal.com um, and all the contact details are there. Let me know a little bit about yourself and if you're interested in coming onto the podcast in the future. Um, today I am delighted to be joined by a, another new guest. So Lauren is going to share um, some of her story with us, uh, including her experience with borderline personality disorder, becoming a Time to Change champion, Uh, and sharing her story online as well and kind of all that that has entailed I think it's really interesting again from my point of view to hear about people's individual stories situations experiences um, the positives uh, and some of the negatives and um, use that as a way to kind of I guess inform myself about different illnesses about different symptoms also about different coping strategies uh, and different forms of support or tools or tips that people have accessed as well. And that's one of the best things, I think, for me. I I feel like conversations are so important around mental health, around um, both general conversations about mental health, including obviously the illnesses, but also well-being. But having people that are happy or comfortable or confident enough to share their own story I really find don't know about you guys but for me I find it so much more engaging um the the stories really allow me to have a much better understanding of mental health of how it actually works sometimes and how people have reacted or um experienced those things often when we read about or hear about uh, mental health or mental health illnesses it can be quite abstract it's sometimes i've definitely found quite hard to understand um so hearing people talk about their own experiences has been and continues to be a, a really 
rewarding and educational thing for myself and I hope you guys continue to enjoy hearing people talk about their own stories and experiences um, and are enjoying it as much as I am because I'm bloody loving it (laughs) and um, what did I say 123 episodes in um, including a couple of spin-off ones that don't quite count into this tally Um, it continues to be amazing and I continue to be amazed by the people that come on and share their stories so thank you to you guys and obviously to Lorna today who's going to be sharing her story Um, so I'm going to drop you guys in a second straight into that conversation I am just also going to mention very very briefly that I am hoping to work with Lorna next year Uh, so in 2019 um, on a bit of a project uh, that I'm working on so I'm hoping to be able to bring you a little bit more information about Lorna in the future and um, maybe share something with you in January or February um, so look out for a little bit more information from us about uh, another project that we're hopefully going to be able to share with you very very soon but today is all about Lorna's story and Lorna's experiences so so a big thank you to her for coming on and sharing that with us and thank you to you guys for downloading and that's enough thank yous here is our conversation so just how has how has today or the last couple of days been for you um it's been really hectic oh my god that was, <laughs> that was good, good timing <laughs> really timing so it's been like that Uh, it's been been really hectic I'm in the middle of moving house so I feel very all over the place and very tired all the time and just don't really want to do it and everyone keeps telling me but you need to sort this out and I'm like yeah it'll get done it'll get done eventually I think like I've not moved a lot but it's one of those like it's really stressful but at the same time you're like stuff does seem to come together usually and um like uh, the after move of like once you actually get somewhere always feels like um it feels really good even when it still looks crappy like it's just a load of boxes everywhere you're like no it looks good (laughs) there's a real um yeah like um what's the is it rosy glasses no that's not it is it is that it yeah yeah Yeah, there's definitely an element of that in new houses um so when are you when are you looking at moving or are you already into the new place or so i'm moving back to my mum's which is fun um and we have to be out by friday so we've done most of it okay going back and cleaning and sorting everything out this end which isn't so fun i just hate unpacking i just don't want to do it mm, i think i get into that mindset of like i'd oh i'll just i'll throw it away i'd rather throw it away than pack it yeah definitely i mean i suppose that's useful to some extent mm. yeah i just hate it and it feels like I've already packed one end. I don't want to unpack the other end. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That definitely fits in with my throw it away. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I do struggle with that sometimes because I definitely keep more stuff than I should. Yeah. And then I'll have spells of just throwing stuff away. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I don't know. I, yeah, I, it gets a little bit ruthless when it gets to the throwing away stage. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't really know. I'm just starting to throw stuff out. <laughs> oh, it's very horrible. Well, it sounds like at least there's a a clear goal, I suppose, at the end. And so you're yeah. going to be all moved and sort of settled-ish for Christmas. Hopefully. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no option. We have to be out by Friday. So we've got to just, just feels like a long way off. Yeah, well, I, I it's, yeah, if that's what you're spending the next few days on, you've got plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really apprehensive going, for yeah, you. I desperately want to know what happens on Friday. Well, I suppose on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. um, so we obviously started talking uh, on social media, on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think it'd be really interesting to hear from you what your experience has been like 
um, talking about mental health online and um, how you found some of the conversations there as well? Yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. I realised that so I have borderline personality disorder and I realised yesterday that I'd actually kind of hidden it for a really long time and it wasn't a particularly conscious decision to kind of go public with it, but actually it's been kind of thinking oh yeah six months ago I think about three people knew and now half of, half of Twitter know oh. <laughs> it's, it's really strange but it has I'm fortunate that I haven't had any particularly negative experiences so far I think it's been really interesting to hear people's opinions and to hear I think a lot of people about personality disorders have been quite curious and I don't necessarily see curiosity as a bad thing so mm. it's been quite positive so far if not somewhat overwhelming at times. I suppose it's hard as well I don't know how you found it in regards to I think sometimes when you talk openly online people sometimes well, I don't know interpret you as maybe being a bit of a an expert or knowing what's going on um, and when you're um, especially if you're still going through or still affected by uh, an illness it can be really difficult because a lot of the time you don't know why things are happening or you yeah. might not even know exactly what is happening has yeah. that kind has that side been quite difficult as well with maybe some of the questions or the conversations while still being positive have has some of that been a bit of a challenge yeah I think for me, I mean, I got re-diagnosed with borderline about three and a half years ago, and it's something that I have a reasonably good understanding of, and I know, I know what it is for me and what happens to me and mm. why I have it. But I don't profess to know everything about everyone else, and I've had, I've had quite a few people who, who their friends or their partners or whoever have BPD, and they want to know how to support them. Mm. And it's actually when I've come to kind of type a response. I can never think of anything to say and I feel so awful because I'm like well I don't know <laughs> I don't I don't know the answers um and I think it's such a difficult one because it really is I mean borderline personality disorder has this whole thing of you know treading on eggshells but I certainly sometimes feel like well I don't want to give advice because I could make that person 10 times worse just because mm. it works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for them mm. and I think that has been really difficult to manage and kind of sometimes just holding your hands up and going, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know, but mm. I it gets better. <laughs> I really like to say, um, especially the, um, like the way you worded that as well, though, it's the, this is my experience and this is what's yeah. worked or not worked for me. Um, and I think that's really important because, again, it encourages people to go away and have those conversations with someone. Look, maybe we can say, Sometimes this happens more than this, but it doesn't mean it will. Um, and yeah, if there's someone that you're concerned about, worried about, or just want to find out a bit more, like try and sit down and have that conversation with them. Uh, and I think that's the side of, um, I guess, campaigning and being an advocate and championing and those sort of terms um, around mental health is that actually it is about starting conversations and understanding that everyone is different. There yeah. might be similarities. There might be people that are affected by the same illness, but they're not necessarily going to have the same symptoms or feel the same way about that. Yeah. I mean, I studied, I studied psychology at uni and I remember them giving us this statistic and it was, I think it was schizophrenia and they said that actually based on the criteria schizophrenia can present in 84 different ways with no two people having the same symptoms oh, wow. and that just kind of blew my mind I was like what how's that even possible how can you have so many people with such different experiences but it really is true and I think that's what's so lovely sometimes about the Twitter community in particular is that mm. everyone has their own kind of way of coping with it and you can kind of learn from other people and just try things and if they don't work for you they don't work for you but like I've certainly found like when I've been particularly anxious or whatever I've asked people on Twitter for help and tried some of the things they've suggested and some of them work and some of them don't mm. I think um one conversation I had um I don't know it might be a couple of years ago now um with someone and we were talking about um like counseling and therapy 
and yeah. uh, it was a I think it was a Twitter conversation that escalated into a podcast um, <laughs> but that was probably the first conversation where I'd heard someone say um, like I, I went to therapy it wasn't a positive experience because I didn't have a good rapport with the therapist mm. but I felt like there was a benefit to the type of stuff we were doing it just wasn't working for me yeah so I went away and got another therapist and like the idea of someone thinking that was like completely new to me and not so I, I would have been very much like well that hasn't worked so therapy is not for me I need yeah. to look at something else um and to hear someone else sort of suggest that just yeah that was my like oh my gosh okay um yeah I mean as soon as you hear someone say that it makes sense but yeah until you hear it um and like you say it's those conversations with people um that provide I guess that um open honest discussion um about our experiences or where you kind of stumble sometimes across different tools or support networks or ways to thinking about mental health even yeah definitely I think I mean I started all this when I kind of joined Time to Change as a young champion in July Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of shocked at how much I've learned in such a short space of time for that five six months and it's been incredible it's really interesting because I've um, I've spoken to um, a few champion, a few young champions previously, mm-hmm. and obviously hearing about their experience and um, what they've kind of uh, I don't know if progressed is the right word, but what mm-hmm. they've progressed on to to doing now um, as a non young person, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what does it feel like, kind of coming in and uh, being part of? Uh, what I guess is now quite a recognised um, team or set up in terms of campaigning and championing mental health? I think, I, I mean, it's one of those things, I'm really bad at ever remembering things, so I don't remember applying to my current job. <laughs> I don't remember applying to the Young Champion programme, don't tell them that. Um, <laughs> but, but, so I didn't really have any expectations, and I think when I got there... Um, like I said, I've been quite private about my mental health for the last few years. It, mm. When I was first became mentally ill, I was quite open about it. But then I was diagnosed with depression at that stage. And when I got re-diagnosed with GPD, I suddenly became very secretive about it again. And I'm trying to kind of at the moment work out what that's about. Mm. But for me, it was just kind of this overwhelming sense that first weekend when we did an induction weekend of just, oh my God, there's actually this community out there that I didn't even know anything about. I've not been on Twitter. I had a Twitter account years ago. I haven't been on it for probably three, four years. Mm. And I was just overwhelmed by kind of, oh, my God, there's all these amazing people out there doing these incredible things that I didn't know anything about. And I think just getting into that atmosphere, and we had so many of kind of the previous cohort there who had just done amazing things, like you've got Jodie, who's gone to the palace and knows everybody. (laughs) (laughs) All of these people that had done such incredible things. And it did feel quite overwhelming that weekend I think coming away and being like kind of a bit like what have I let myself in for here like it's really exciting but also like not knowing what like you said what the feedback from it's going to be when you join up like when I started my Twitter account I didn't know how people were going to respond to me when I started my blog I didn't know how people were going to respond and it was because I've been so secretive for such a long time it was quite scary to put myself out there again do you think it turned out well? <laughs> do you think? I think so. Um, it, so you kind of had that period where um, you were maybe more quiet about your depression, then spoke about it, and then when you were re-diagnosed, became more quiet again. Is that right? Yeah, I think when I I remember very vividly being told by my doctor, I think I don't think this is depression. I think this is borderline personality disorder. Hmm. And, kind of being absolutely horrified and not wanting to tell anybody I even kind of struggled to tell my mum and I was like I don't even know what to say and mm. then kind of I was away at uni at the time and then I came back and my friends were like oh how things with the depression and stuff like that and I was just like oh yeah it's fine it's fine I don't really want to tell you anything else now let's just move on do you because do you, uh, I, I, I wonder whether 
part of that from what you said already is like the I guess the build building kind of a confidence and an understanding around uh what was going on with the depression and then the idea of oh it's something else and maybe yeah. not being as familiar and again that idea of having a conversation and someone saying well what is it and you're like well I don't know exactly what it is and I don't really know how it affects me yet because I've literally just kind of yeah. re-found out I can completely understand that mindset of um I don't want to tell anyone yet yeah I really it feels like the rug's been pulled from under you it was really mm. strange because I'd spent I think I'd probably had kind of the label of depression for two or three years and like you said I spent a lot of time learning about it and then to suddenly be told eh, maybe not actually was really quite scary and I think I mean I studied psychology at the time and I didn't even really know what borderline personality disorder was so the thought that any of my friends could understand what it was was just it just wasn't going to happen and I was really worried about what they'd think that that label meant you know mm. personality disorder in and of itself it's like oh so you have a bad personality um mm. and I think it was just it was just really difficult to get your head around after being told for so long and I think it's such a common thing that people get misdiagnosed with one thing and then it changes into something else and I think that's a difficult thing to get your head around and for me I was told kind of in I had a GP appointment and then I had an assessment and that was kind of it and I was just like oh okay so in these two appointments everything's changed and I don't know what to do and I didn't really know where to turn and Google's not great don't Google (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I always I, I I love the Google diagnosis because I think um sometimes it is useful in terms of finding support but it's also really bad for like the amount of times I've had a hernia. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm like Dying. no. I think it's trapped wind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. I they had this thing years ago, and you could put in what your symptoms were. And I remember trying to trick it one day, and everything I put in, it was like dial nine nine nine. No, I don't want to. Oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with me. Was that the? Because I remember it was. Um, I think it was like the NHS website or a part yeah. of it. And then there was like the body outline and you click yeah. on a part of the body that you were like, yeah, this that. is the bit I'm worried about. And then you had like a choice of, I don't know, maybe five different things to choose from. Um, and then I think you clicked through and had another five choices. And that was it. From those three clicks, we've worked out what's wrong yeah. with you. I was like, oh. It was probably red. No, no, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah. I'll, be, I'll just wait a couple more days. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> Oh man, how do you um, like over that period of time, especially being involved with um, the campaigning as well? How has that kind of fitted around? I guess you learning about uh, a new illness and potentially new symptoms as well. Um, has that felt quite difficult, or has it been um, really interesting in terms of doing that alongside? Uh, I guess some general awareness raising for other people as well I it was actually quite separate mm. so I was diagnosed three years ago and then didn't do anything for three years so okay. I worked, finished my degree but didn't do any campaigning stuff I'd done some stuff before on depression I'd done like a blog with young minds and a few things like that but not really anything major mm-hmm. so it kind of did feel a little bit like it felt like this summer I remember kind of being with the young champions in the hotel after the training and kind of feeling like I need I don't it was just this sense that I need to own this now and I need to own that this is my diagnosis and Mm. it's okay and it's not a bad thing and I don't need to hide it anymore and I think there was something really safe about the space that weekend and obviously the guys at Times Change are fantastic at creating such an amazing atmosphere but it Mm. just it felt like I'm ready to do this now and I'm ready to own it now and it's been it feels to me borderline personality disorder is kind of always there but for me generally I'm okay most of the time and then I have quite bad periods and then I'm okay again for a long time so to kind of own that feels very strange because for a large part of my time it isn't really me and it's just like oh okay I'm going to talk about this a lot now 
it's been positive so far. Don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. It's 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 um it's interesting to find out uh, about you and hear your story and um obviously say to most of the the guys that come on to the podcast like i'm here every episode like (laughs) do not worry about me talking (laughs) um but no it is interesting to hear about uh obviously the way that your uh experience with a mental health illness has kind of changed over time as well as you've learned about it and started to campaign and blog about it and um share that experience but um I guess I also wonder maybe um what was the like the first time you really felt like there was something going on and what was it like trying to ask for or look for support at that time I, I, I always feel like I have two stories because I feel like I have the kind of the first time I realized I wasn't quite right hmm. I was at uni and I had a hell of a breakdown it was a poop so much fun. Uh, I, I literally had like an argument with my housemate one morning and I'd become really isolated from them all and kind of quite anxious and I was spending a lot of time in my room by myself I didn't really think much of it and then I had this massive well massive it was a tiny argument with my housemate it was over nothing at all but to me it felt like the end of the world and I just locked myself in my room for a day and I didn't eat I didn't go to the toilet anything and my friend came over and was like, you, you need to go home. Like, this has to stop. And I was like, what has to stop? And she was like, you're not well. And mm-hmm. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. And she was like, no, you need to go home. And she grabbed my suitcase with the wardrobe and was like, I'm packing this and you're going home. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and I think it was kind of almost being called out by somebody else. It was mm-hmm. so powerful for me because I've been pretending for a really long time that I was fine. And... I don't know. I struggle to remember whether I did know that I wasn't right or not. I don't think I really did. I think I was quite far in denial. Mm. But then again, similarly, having to come home and kind of explain to my family who thought I was fine and I was at uni doing okay, that actually someone else told me I'm not well and I need to come home and I need to see a doctor. Mm. It was quite terrifying. And then to be told, okay, I think you've got depression and anxiety and then the discussion about medication and things like that it was all very overwhelming in a very short space of time and I think again it felt similar when I was re-diagnosed that I'd been going through a really difficult patch at uni again and then kind of I'd been seeing my GP quite regularly anyway and then she was just like this doesn't feel like depression anymore I think it just feels it's the most overwhelming thing in the world and you're kind of sat there you have like a 10 minute appointment and then you have to leave and go back to your normal life and you're like don't know what to do mm. and I think that is so terrifying and I was 19 the first time around and kind of 21 22 the second time around and it's so difficult to just know what to do and I think that's where Google is both a blessing and a curse because mm. like I remember looking up the mind information on borderline personality disorder and kind of being like oh that actually does make sense but what but what is this why am I like this what what's going on but at the same time, I think you read a lot of things about people who never get better or people who spend their life locked away in a hospital and it can be quite scary. Yeah, I think it is that side. And we still, I think it comes through a lot less now because we have more people like yourself talking yeah. about mental health in general, but also their own experience of it. Yeah. Um, but I think there are still a lot of people that don't, engage in those conversations and because of that they do have that mindset of okay if you worry a little bit that's okay anything more than that it's like straight jacket hospital time Um, and I've got I still have a couple of people that are friends between friends and acquaintances Um, (laughs) (laughs) and um, they I don't think they think that, but they're not far from it. Yeah. Um, and it is it is kind of that eye opener that actually, do you know what? Like, while this should be something that everyone talks about, and um, we're not just talking about illnesses, we're talking about just like, how do you feel today? Are you happy? Are you sad? Or why do you feel like that? Or what's made you feel like that? Um, and how can we change that? Um, 
I think there are people that don't engage at all in those conversations and do just think, oh, if there's something wrong with you, you need to be like taken out of society essentially um, and dealt with. And I just, I don't know, I do have a simplistic view sometimes, well, quite often. Um, (laughs) And I think so much of it comes back to having conversations yeah. Um, I think yeah we're not gonna um, like the fact that you were struggling or experiencing certain, th- certain things a discussion isn't going to change that but it might help prevent the escalation it might help yeah. you access support sooner um, it might help you be aware of different types of support um, and I think we've already mentioned in the last kind of 20 minutes the the different types of support that we've found out about just from talking to other people. Yeah. Um, and that's not from seeing specialists. It's just from talking to people on the internet. And uh, I think it's, it's that side that is starting to open up. Um, but there are still a lot of people that don't. And I think sometimes we trick ourselves because we, we get involved in this awesome community or group of people um, that do talk proactively about mental health and about even health in general. Um, and I think it's quite easy to sometimes trick yourself into thinking, oh, society's changed. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't. You're just talking to different people now and you're talking to people that have a similar interest or passion that, that you do. Um, and I think that's why kind of continuing those um, discussions and promotion of those discussions is so important. And um, having people like yourselves that, talk about their experience online that blog it that do this stuff with um time to change and other charities as well is um is so important i guess yeah i think i mean on twitter i can say this now hmm. um i i worked up until last week the week before in psychiatry i hmm. was an assistant psychologist in a secure psychiatric hospital for offenders Hmm. and I felt very much like there's two worlds there's this amazing community on Twitter that are so open and people are sharing and supporting each other and really building each other up and then I go to work and even in kind of the industry if you want to call it that that is supposed to be out there helping these people and making the change Hmm. the stigma is unbelievable it is absolutely unreal and I'd be really kind of shocked and sad to hear kind of similar comments to what you just said you know well they need to be locked away for the rest of their lives or yeah. oh they're never going to get out they're never going to get better and it's like well actually maybe if we stop thinking like that they can yeah maybe if we help them a little bit more as we can get them out and we can get them back out into society and I think it it felt very difficult because I, I kept my condition very closed off from my work life mm. um and I, I feel I find it so frustrating, kind of some of the comments that I hear about people with my condition and people with similar conditions, and you just kind of want to scream, "That's not what it's like. That's not why they're doing that. That isn't. That's mm. not what it is." And it was really frustrating. And I think it's part of the reason I made the decision to leave that job and move away from it. And it just feels like. I don't know, it does, like you say, it feels like there's still a long way to go with the rest of society. Yeah. It is that, um, oh, I don't know, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because I was speaking to people that have had um, not, not the same role as you're speaking about, but similar roles where they're involved in um, elements of care or... Yeah. Um, other areas that relate to kind of mental health professionalism um and it is interesting that side of um personal experience counting for more than it should i think in that like i understand that you have more of um an understanding or more of an affinity to the people that might be in those situations of needing care because you've experienced an illness and so there's more of a connection but it shouldn't be a case that if you don't have that experience you don't have that understanding in terms of like I um I'm not going to think of a good example now 
<laughs> like I've I've never um, like broken my leg or my arm, but I understand that if someone does that, it limits what they can do for a period of time, and there might be a bit of recovery, and that we kind of support them through that, knowing that in I don't know six months or twelve months or again, no idea, um, <laughs> time they are probably going to be 95% recovered. Um, But that potentially there's always going to be a little bit of a niggle or that arm or that leg is more susceptible to break again. Yeah. Um, And I think I understand that, but I'm not a doctor or a nurse or someone intelligent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I don't don't quite... Well, I, I do understand, but I just find it disappointing that people don't have that same sort of mindset around mental health that... Um, this is likely someone that yes they're going to be maybe affected by this for all of their life but they're not always going to be affected to the level that they're at now Um, and actually maybe just give them a little bit of time or give them a little bit of support like you don't have to um, be the expert or the professional even if you're in a, a role of care like actually just looking out for that person Again, no idea. Um, That kind of, I guess, respect um, to give to someone shouldn't be dependent on their, I don't know, ability to manage their emotions 100% or completely tell, um, I don't know, their reality from my reality. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think, oh yeah, I've, yeah. I've got angry in my head and lost myself. <laughs> but, oh. Like you say, that basic care yeah. and that respect isn't there. Mm. And that's really sad. Mm. And I I can't figure out what that's about. I think it I think psychiatry and kind of psychology and mental health, it's all become a little bit too industrialised now and it's let's stamp this person with this label and give them this treatment. And like you said before, if that treatment mm. doesn't work, mm. then it's like, oh, well, it's something wrong with that person. Not, well, maybe the treatment isn't right, or maybe it's something to do with the person that's giving the treatment, or mm. maybe it's... Like, there were patients when I worked with them that I just didn't get on with. But yeah. I, if I'd have been their psychologist, I would have been no good to them, because for whatever reason, there was something about them that didn't click with me, mm. or they reminded me of someone I knew, or things like that. Whereas there were other patients that... like I was the perfect person to work with them for whatever reason and I think there's just I don't know and I think as well we really miss out on certainly having been in that job for two years I never really heard from any of the patients themselves about what they wanted and I always found that really disappointing that they're not more involved in their care it's very much like we're the experts we know what we're doing Mm. listen to us and if it doesn't work well then that's your fault not us and it's like well no that's not the case it should be like you say, that supporting somebody because yeah. they're recovery and it's their illness, and not kind of just forcing them through treatment, just guiding them through it. So I think everyone, like I know my condition better than anyone else, and mm. that's the same for anyone with any kind of illness, whether it's mental or not. You know, kind of what causes flare-ups and what doesn't better than a doctor does. And you know, we feel very comfortable going to a doctor and saying, like, this is a problem when it's physical and this is making it worse but mm. not I, I don't know I don't really, really intimidating people <laughs> no I think you're right in the um it is also the being happy to have that conversation and listen to someone and say look, okay, maybe maybe the thing that they want to change or that they want to do is not possible. Um, but at least that can be part of a discussion and they can understand why you've taken the steps that you're taking or why you're advising or recommending the thing that you are. Um, I remember, um, completely not mental health related at all, uh, I remember having a discussion with a former boss about um, evaluation forms and um, we we had paper evaluation forms for some of the training sessions we were doing uh, and the workshops and I said I don't can we not just do this electronically like we could ask the same couple of questions um, do them on the one to five scale 
we've only really got one question that asks them like what would you like to have added to the session or something like that and we could maybe sacrifice that or we could do it in terms of like a comments box or something like that this would save like all of the data input time like it can be done instantly um we can tell who's provided the information and all this sort of stuff and they were like yeah but if we have the paper forms, we can hand them out at the end. We know people have done it. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, but you're sacrificing a lot of time um, for that. And actually, some people still don't do it. Um, and I was like, I just, I, I massively felt like we should have been doing um, feedback electronically. Um, but at the end, I respected the fact that the manager said, look, no, the decision is we're going we're gonna to continue with the paper copies, essentially because they didn't want to take the risk of people not doing the digital one, which while I didn't agree with, I could respect, no, you've made that decision. I understand why you've made it. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and I sometimes think if we could do, well, not necessarily that, but things like that a little bit more often, where if we could just take a little bit of time to have those discussions and to understand do you know what maybe what's happening or what someone's going to do is not something I agree with but if I can understand why they're doing it that makes a whole it makes a huge difference I think um I know it's not always possible and but I think often it's not about it's not possible it's people are just not prepared or don't think they should have to do that yeah it's it's like so, I feel like we're coming back to just conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just being quite transparent with people is so powerful. Mm. Like, I, we had a patient on my ward and he was very, very unwell. He was um, quite manic and quite psychotic. And he wanted to go somewhere one day. And I can't remember where he wanted to go or what was going on. But the nursing staff decided he was too unwell to go. They were concerned about the risk. Mm. Um, and so they said no. And he was like, well, why can't I go? So-and-so is going. Why can't I go? And they said, they, they made up some lie. They said something about not having enough stuff, and it wasn't true. And I was kind of like, why aren't we just telling him because you're too unwell? Yeah. Like, he's not a baby. He's a 30-something-year-old man. Like, he needs to understand that he's not well. Mm. And he was he was really struggling to accept that he was ill. And I was kind of like, it's no wonder when no one actually tells him, you know? Yeah. Certainly, yeah. that conversation with my friends, potentially saved my life like I was really unwell and I didn't know Mm. and she was like no you need to go home and I think people are really scared to kind of have uncomfortable conversations which I totally get I hate uncomfortable conversations but I think actually just like you say being honest with someone and kind of explaining something even if it's not what they want to hear Mm. is so important and Mm. I think yeah and I think like like in that situation you've mentioned like that could be that, yeah, that could be really hard for that guy to hear, for someone yeah. to say, look, you can't go, not because we're understaffed. We could take you. We just don't think you're well enough. And yeah. you, he could have a real negative reaction to that. But also, in terms of maybe slightly longer term, like his buy-in to yeah. support or treatment, maybe yeah. that would change in future because he thinks, actually, do you know what? Like, No, that, there are changes that I need to make. And maybe I do need to try this rather than not really seeing the point in any of it and just thinking I'm always not able to do stuff because they're stitching up or they're lying to me or whatever. Um, If I was in a similar situation, you know, I haven't ever been in a hospital with mental health problems, but it must be absolutely terrifying. And all you want is for people to be straight with you. And I wouldn't Mm. want people kind of dancing around the issue. You know, if I was ill, I'd want to know what I need to do to get better. And if I don't agree with that for whatever reason, or if I've got concerns, then it's kind of my responsibility to talk about, like, when I was on antidepressants, I didn't want to go on them because I was worried about side effects. And Mm. I think I spent about three months kind of going back and forth as to whether I wanted to start them or not. But I was able to ask my doctor, well, what about this? Because I've heard that it can cause this. And he was able to reassure me. And it's just through having that open discussion with people. And I think... There's a real thing with kind of treating people with mental illness like they're fragile in some way. And that's true when it isn't, you know. But mm-hmm. actually, they're some of the strongest people I know. And so to come out with something that might be a little bit difficult to hear but is going to benefit someone is really important, I think. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think it's all part of that. Like, we keep coming back, it's all part of the conversations. And um, 
encouraging people to speak more openly and to hopefully not fear yeah. the type of support that's available to them as well. Um, yeah. Whether that is a stay in a hospital, whether that is medication, whether that is therapy. Um, mm. It's encouraging people to to see the benefit from those and actually like the sooner and the earlier that you engage in them the probably the more impact they're going to have but also potentially like the less of that support you're going to need like if you don't want to take um medication if you don't want to go to therapy probably the earlier you you kind of use that as a support if it's the support you want to engage with then actually that might mean that you only need to take it or access it for six months rather than for a couple of years so but yeah I don't know (laughs) I don't know um so jumping subject yep um we mentioned earlier that you um obviously times change champion but also um blog as well um how how did that kind of get started and how have you found that um, I don't remember. Again, I don't remember ever doing anything for the first time. I've got real issues. <laughs> talk to a doctor about this. <laughs> um, I don't actually remember setting up my blog. I think it was so when we were on the time to change training, they mentioned kind of the benefits of having separate mental health advocacy campaigning, whatever you want to call it, account mm-hmm. to protect your own privacy and to kind of just just to kind of separate those two worlds a little bit so yeah. that you're not all mental health all the time um and so i set up kind of a an instagram with the help of one of the other champions um she helped me set that up and then i think from there i was just like i don't think i'm pretty sure i've never blogged before in my life i'm pretty sure i didn't ever do it in the past Mm. and i think i just thought i'm gonna try and write something and see what happens Mm. i don't remember what i wrote i don't remember see if i can find it do you think for for you like was it or has it been like a useful tool or um is it kind of just part of your I guess like campaigning or championing role I think one of the things that surprised me is that because I I have numerous conditions I'm also kind of I don't ever use the word recovered but weight restored anorexic okay what really surprised me is that I found it really easy to blog about that Mm-hmm. It's really hard to blog about borderline personality disorder. Oh, okay. I think that goes back to like the borderline personality disorder is so broad and it covers so many symptoms. But and I'm still getting my head around it. Even three years later, I'm still kind of like, well, this is how it affects me. Mm. But actually, like we said before, it presents completely differently in other people, and I've seen it present completely differently in my patients. And I never, I always come re- get really stuck when I want to write about it, and I never really know what to say. Whereas I find kind of, because I consider kind of my anorexia kind of done and in the past, it's yeah. very easy for me to be like, okay, I can write about that because it happened five years ago and it's not happening now. But I don't know. I found it really difficult to blog about borderline personality disorder. I do think, though, there are, um, there's a lot in sort of being able to talk about something that you've kind of previously experienced. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of the, I guess, like the mainstream media type coverage of mental health, when we hear people talk about their experience, yeah. I think it's either, and it is predominantly, this is what I went through like 10 years ago and didn't tell anyone, but I'm recovered now and let's talk about my story because I'm well. Yeah. Um, or we do get a couple of like, it's crisis point and literally like, we just need to get this person some help. Yeah. Um, and I do, while I love that those people come out and speak about their, their story and often um, all of the work that so many people do on the ground level is um, is overshadowed <laughs> um, yeah. by um, a couple of people that are considered famous uh, talking about their stories. I, I wonder sometimes, like, it's great in terms of the awareness it gets uh, amongst the public. There's an interest in mental health. There's discussions. Um, but sometimes I also think, does it kind of stigmatise the people that are still ill? Because yeah. often it is someone talking about, oh, well, this is what I went through then and I couldn't talk about it. Da, 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 da. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but I can kind of see both sides. I don't know kind of what your thoughts are on uh, on that. I think that's really interesting. One of the people I absolutely adore is Johnny Benjamin. And I think I almost see two very different sides to him. There's a side that's very kind of public and done the Channel 4 documentary and all that stuff. And that's more the, you know, he was recovered at the time he made that documentary and that was fantastic. But mm. the thing that I love most is that he's so open on Twitter about going back into hospital mm-hmm. or having a crap day and they're the things to me and people like um like Demi Lovato I love Demi Lovato my boyfriend can't stand it <laughs> <laughs> she had her breakdown the year before I did and there was no one in the media that had that was a similar age to me that was talking about it mm. and so when I became really unwell I, I really kind of was drawn to her mm. and I know that this last year obviously she's been through a lot again Mm. and I think there's something in that she's been completely honest about that that I love that she brought the song out about you know I'm not sober anymore and this is actually where I'm at in my life right now and I'm not going to hide from it and they're the things that really resonate with me Mm. and make me feel like oh actually I still have bad days most of the time (laughs) I still have really bad days and actually to see people in the public eye that are still having those bad days, I think, yeah, I agree with you that that is almost more powerful mm. because even though they're still having those bad days, they're still here and they're still campaigning and they're still changing things even though they're having a horrific time of it. Mm. Those are re- That's two really good examples, though, I think, of, um, of people that are very much in the public eye but continue to talk about their experience at the time at the same time as having that struggle um yeah i think more yeah the approach is maybe different yeah um and again i would say i could be wrong from my the lack of attention i pay to mainstream media uh (laughs) let's make the assumption of what's in it um i would think that there's probably maybe more coverage of those two people in social media by um people uh rather than sort of the media pushing those stories i think they maybe jump on them a little bit after oh so many thousands of people are talking about this quick let's put a quick little article on the website or something it's not going to be in the newspaper but we'll put it on the website yeah and i think it was really sad when obviously demi Lovato had the overdose Mm. that that became such a sensationalized kind of news story like i literally couldn't pick my phone up without seeing it or it was in the papers and things like that but it's like well why is why is that exciting why mm. is the, you know she's obviously in a horrific place right now why are we adding more fuel to that because you're all at her house taking photos saying look this is the 999 called like yeah her alone. like she needs to get better yeah and i think that's something that I really respect about the way Johnny handles things is that he's perfectly okay with being like, look, I'm not going to be on Twitter for so long because I need to focus on me right now. And I think mm. it's such a hard thing to do. Certainly at like kind of the level that like we're at, like I've got like 500 followers, like you don't want to take that time away because you want to kind of keep building. But mm. actually there's certainly been days like this week with moving house. that I've just been like, I don't have time. I can't deal with it right yeah. now. Like, and I've had people messaging me asking me for advice. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I hope things get better. But at the moment, I'm really busy and I can't. Mm. Mm. There is that side, I think, like you say, especially when you're um, online and you, you feel that pressure to um, have a presence or to answer certain questions. And um, like you say, being honest and saying that if someone really does need help, like there's loads of places for them to get it and if they need that sort of support, it's not from you. Like you can have yeah. the conversation. Um, and uh, those times of also, I guess, respecting that people have got other stuff going on. And mm-hmm. when you were talking about um, like the kind of the, the press or the media coverage of, of um, Demi's illnesses as well, it's kind of made me think of like in that situation, like, oh, if someone had had, I don't know, like a stroke or they'd found out they got cancer or something, would suddenly like everyone be outside being like, this is the phone call of the doctor, like telling them. And I'm like, "Mm." yeah, I can think of one or two papers that would probably do that. (laughs) But (laughs) but as a a whole, um, I think that wouldn't be the way 
that that would be covered. Um, And I think, yeah, mental health is still seen as a bit of a sensationalised thing. Um, And I think to some extent, maybe some elements of the media want to keep it like that. Um, Like you've got to keep certain taboos, like having stuff like does the me does mainstream media really want conversations about things like sex to be normalized no because they need to hold on to that for it to be sensational if we are suddenly all happy to talk about it and we don't care about seeing certain things well then what are they going to do to shock us into buying or engaging with their content yeah um so it's it's that side of yeah if, if we're saying to people actually no we want you to just engage in conversations about mental health and it not to be weird for someone to suddenly have um an illness or to be affected by certain symptoms yeah you're decreasing the shock value which i would argue is improving the world yeah um is it what's her name ariana grande she's obviously like quite publicly said she's got ptsd from the manchester bombing oh yes yeah like that's expected like that's okay Mm. she's of course she does Mm. Whereas someone like Demi Lovato, it's like, oh, but she took an overdose of drugs, so let's condemn her to hell for the rest of her life. And it's kind of like, like I remember kind of reading it in like a one sentence thing in an article that Ariana Grande had PTSD, and I was like, oh, that's cool, but I've not really seen her talk about it much because no, no one's that interested because it's like, well, of course she does. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. I, I I wonder whether that would whether that would change in the future. I think at the moment, probably because the thing that her PTSD is around is so recent. Yeah. Um, and I guess to cover that would still be a really difficult story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so not necessarily where we are with conversations, but just where she is in her timeline yeah. is maybe yeah. different. I don't know. Mm. Um, well, we've somehow managed to kind of pretty much get up to an hour without I feel like we haven't really talked about anything can we've also talked about everything yeah. um if uh, if people wanted to find out a little bit more about you Lorna or kind of get in contact with you where are the best places to to find you um so Twitter and Instagram really so I don't use my name online so I use the name living beyond the borderline okay uh, and my Twitter is at beyond DPD18 and then my Instagram is living beyond the borderline. Thanks. Well, thank you very much for for coming on to the podcast and for sharing your story. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. No worries. I'll talk to you very soon. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well, so it sort of started from there. And then she was like, can you tell me a bit about what's going on? So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.